Oh, you want me to start? Okay. Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly show where we talk about a comic or graphic novel of our choice. My name is Anne. I'm Dallas. And today we are short one Lexi. And last week, listener, we told you we'd be doing Wonder Woman this week. But since we are short of Lexi, we decided to steer. We're going to take a, a sharp right turn and we're going to cover something else that's been on our minds lately because Dallas, my good friend Dallas, has finally listened to me and has finally completed the task I gave to him years ago. And literally. Literally years ago. Literally, that was literally a present I was I gave you for like Christmas two years ago. I think Lexi and I both chipped in on that compendium, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay, cool. So yeah, years ago, but now we have reached it. The finish line. Dallas has completed the Starman. The 90s run Starman. Bum! All 87 issues of Starman. And you might be saying, there were only 80 issues. You fool. You absolute buffoon. There were tie-in issues. There were annuals. This is the only series that's ever been good enough for me to be like, I should check out that tie-in. I never check out the tie-ins. I'm the CEO of Skipping Annuals, and I read them all for this series because I could not get enough of Opal City and James Robinson... Tony Harris, Peter Schnidgeberg, and some David S. Goyer as well. I, I was confused by that. Wait, really? Yeah, he co-wrote the whole space section. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, the Krypton stuff all makes sense now. And this Starman series changed my brain chemistry, folks. <laughs> I had heard that this was one of the greatest comic runs of all time. For a very long time. And not only from Gen Xers. Because like, I'll be real. Many of you listening to this, according to our statistics, are Gen Z. A lot of you are men. Some of you are women. Wish more yeah. of you were women. Hell yeah. I appreciate our elder nerds' opinions. I know sometimes you guys are like, they are idiots. And they don't understand that the world started with the new 52. I know that many of you are like, unless Anne has specifically told me to check out this pre-crisis comic book, I will not be checking it out. But I, cool guy that I am, just I like a lot of diverse opinions, so I go to 40-year-old white men to get my diverse <laughs> opinions. And they've been telling me for years that these comics rule. And so then, when Anne told me they ruled, I was like... Inside of me, there are two recommendation wolves, and they're both screaming Starmen from the rooftops. I got to check it out. And so then, when I saw that there was a Hellboy crossover with this little slush puppy, and in the midst of Doug from the YouTube channel for Every Kind of Geek saying, hey, you should read Grendel, hey, you should read Grendel, hey, you should read Grendel, I picked up Starman instead, <laughs> and I loved it. <laughs> Because that's the kind of friend and comic fan I am. I take two years of pushing and then I need you to stop pushing and I need someone else to start pushing and then I will read your recommendation. This one goes out to LVP who is like, you should read Invisibles, which immediately dried up my interest in reading Invisibles, which I was already planning to start immediately. I had the omnibus out and then LV was like, 
hey, you should read Invisibles. And I was like, I am right now. And then she was like, have you read Invisibles yet? And I'm like, you just added another year to your sentence. <laughs> We're starting to question now. Because question posting was telling me six months ago to read that. You're starting to see the formula. <laughs> I'm seeing the matrix. <laughs> only read whatever i'm not supposed to be reading at this exact moment there is a strategy here and if you listener are smart you can play dallas like a fiddle just ask me and i will recommend the opposite of what you want him to read (laughs) (laughs) and we can get him we'll get him to read the great darkness saga yeah listen i'm gonna i'm gonna say one i love that you love starman so much because there's part of my secret agenda to get you hyped on the jsa because i failed with the legion I dropped the ball. I dropped the ball real fucking hard with the Legion. And we're, we're going to revisit that at some point. I still have my ace. It's fine. No biggie. No sweat off my shoulder. No, or off my brow. Off your back. Yeah. Off your back is the Is phrase. that the thing? No, no sweat off it's, my back. No, no one has no ever said. No my brow. No. I'm Googling it's, it right no now. No one's ever said. No sweat off my brow. Off. Okay, here's the top three in order. <laughs> no sweat off my back. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. No sweat off my sack. That's number two. If you're <laughs> number three. By number, sack. Th- number three. No sweat off my brow. Boom. I'm gonna say it has gotta be frigid for there to be no sweat off my sack. Anyway, moving on to Starman. Jesus Christ. Listen, it's July in New York City. It's a little mm. swampy. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> all right so Anne, you yes. are the longer time fan of starman do you want to introduce this series to the fans okay yes so <clears throat> starman by james robinson tony harris and others was a series that premiered in the 90s of dc it was not i'm i, I have this up so i wasn't it is not a vertigo series if i'm mistaken right it is not, but it feels like it should be, which is the fun part, because DC during the 90s was banging with its Vertigo series. You had Sandman, you had another one, which is skipping my mind right now. Listen, you had Swamp Man. Swamp Man. <laughs> I can't. I was so not ready for this. Swamp Thing by Alan Moore. You had a lot of really big and like revolutionary series coming out at the time. This was like... um. After Crisis, you started getting into, like, big boy, big girl comics, where it's like, hey, what if we started treating comics like they were literature? What if we started telling some really seriously epic long-form stories and just fucking see where that takes us? Let's tell stories by adults for adults with these characters we've all known since we were kids. And you get some amazing, amazing stories. Alan Moore pulling bangers. (laughs) I was going to say, Alan Moore period <laughs> so yeah like, this crazy thing he's happened where there. all of a sudden um, we just started writing these comics i was like the thing was called alan moore the thing was called alan moore the thing was called the british invasion there was a lot there was a lot that happened um and a lot of it happened under the vertigo umbrella which seemed to be like known as dc's mature serious storytelling and a lot of people went there for like man this is art i'm ready show me something that's gonna be kick-ass and hurt me and i'm gonna remember for years and years and little known listener, um, underneath all the noise that was the nihilism 
and oftentimes extremism. I don't know if that's the proper term, but it's extreme with extremism with two X's of the nineties. Um, <laughs> it's, it's easy to forget that there were some amazing, amazing stories happening at the time. I was talking about this on Twitter earlier. It's a time period that was really unlike any other that we've had since. Cause you had writers that would just go and pick a random character out of the fucking hat like a character you haven't heard of in years or a character that's been a side character for forever pull him out of a hat say like um Azrael um Guy Gardner Spectre we're going to give them 50 60 70 issue plus series and they're going to be the best thing you've ever read in your entire life and everyone just kind of went with it and it was incredible and they they don't like not to sound like any Gen X or any boomer up here, but they just don't make comics like this anymore. And Starman was one of those comics. It went on for 80 issues, told a complete story. And this is a story that, by the way, has not been touched since. And I believe it was at the I think James Robinson learned a little from Alan Moore because I'm pretty sure the reason it has not been touched since the character literally has not been touched since because James Robinson put it into his contract. Like when I finished the story. You will not touch this character. This character is done. You like um you can't deal with the endless at DC unless you get express permission from Neil Gaiman. You cannot touch um Jack Knight Starman at all. Even with unless you have permission from James Robinson, I'm sure. But there is no way James Robinson's giving you permission because he has not yet. It is one of the few stories that DC has left completely untouched since the 90s. And I think that's all for the best. But we talked a lot about like <laughs> just the impact of the story and the context around it. The story itself is about Jack Knight, the son of the original Starman, um, Ted Knight, and about his unwillingness to take on the mantle after his brother, who currently has the mantle, Davy, after he is assassinated and killed in the line of duty. And yeah, punk he's ass. Hmm? punk ass bitch. <laughs> that's got to be the worst way to go as a superhero just get sniped not a single clue what just happened to you like it's one thing to go down facing like a doomsday or facing like um a bane because at least you're you went down in a fight you went down like a hero but just to get sniped out of nowhere god that's awful um suits him though suits him oh god davy Davey, davy Davey, what are we gonna do with you davy um and have some great single issues is what we're gonna do but it's this character who really didn't want anything to do with his dad's legacy, wanted nothing to do with superheroics, who finds himself in the midst of all of it. He finds himself thrown into his father's legacy, and he has to figure out how he's going to deal with that, how he's going to make that his own, and what it's going to change about him. And the what the story does with his character and the relationship with his father and his relationship with the city and the people in it and his impact on that city is what makes this really, really come to life. It's an intricate, breathing masterpiece in the way that it weaves together so many different characters, so many different narratives, and it takes Jack Knight literally from the the shadows of um, like this awful very very prominent like theme at the time of like it's the idea of this younger person who has been disenfranchised with all the the hope and the dreams that his father and his father's father have put on him and he wants nothing to do with it 
but he has to find some middle ground between the nihilism he he feels and sees around him and the optimism and hope of a previous generation. And it's a great hodgepodge of all of that with themes of the the JSA in there and the golden age mixed with a more modern for the time feel. It's it's a really, really interesting and unique series. I don't think anything else has ever been like it. Well, I think ultimately Starman is the quintessential 90s superhero comic because it is both a new, edgy, legacy take on a character and franchise while also being the culmination and finale of the serial comic books that were started in the golden age Mm -hmm. of comics i have said on this podcast before i've said on twitter the 1990s of comics get a bad rap and one of their strengths and one of the saddest things that ended with them was the soap opera nature of comic books that existed up to that point the early 2000s, as great as they were, as much as I like Bendis, you know I am a Bendis boys, 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 was the death of the soap opera na- nature of comic books. We switched to the trade and we have never gone back. And so you don't get these extended 80-issue runs where you have an extended outside of the superhero cast that you can spend whole issues with because ultimately those aren't going to make sense in a six-issue trade paperback that you have to send out to Barnes & Noble in seven mm-hmm. months. And so Starman fits perfectly here where it says we are going to call back on all the history of comics up to this point, And we are going to tell a big sweeping soap opera about a legacy character. And then because this is the era of vertigo, we're going to have a definitive end. Like it is the most of its time comic book ever. Mm-hmm. And it's what makes it one of the best comic books of all time. Because Hot Take, the late 80s into the early 90s of comic books, is one of the golden periods of comic books. And we often disregard this because Cable is so stupid. <laughs> it's it's really funny because I feel like that's one of the things that you look at Starman and you see the cover for the first couple issues. It's one of the things that you expect the character to be because there's such this um almost... I feel like a lot of the hatred for what comics is started in the 90s, where it's like people looked at these things. It's like, oh, these are silly. These are campy. These are for kids. Let's make them for adults. Let's find the perfect way to do this. And a lot of people are like edgy antiheroes. Um, give them big guns. Give the women skimpier outfits. Let's make this something that really resonates with the men in America. And they abandon a lot of the things the comics used to be, which is, you know, what the JSA is completely emblematic of. It's it's that is you think like the golden age of comics, you think the JSA. And I love that this book starts that way and has this character who feels like he should be that character, but along the way starts to realize the, the benefits to, to optimism and to heroism and finds himself embracing comics for what they are. Basically that's, that's how it felt to me. Is Starman the Top Gun Maverick of comic books, where it is a character who looks back begrudgingly at a golden era and then is worn down by the optimism and ultimately has a heartwarming come to Jesus moment about that legacy. And it's a unironically wear your heart on the sleeve action blockbuster. Yeah, we can do that. I like that. Tom Cruise for Starman, baby. No, I'm just kidding. Hey, he'd ride that rod himself. <laughs> he, they, he was like, find me a way to make that rod fly, and I will I will do it. 
I will do he, it. No CGI. <laughs> he might be the only person that can bring me back to a superhero movie. <laughs> On, hey, listen, honestly, a younger Tom Cruise could kind of pull it off. I could kind of see it. It'd be pretty rad. <laughs> Ugh. So this comic book, we are talking about the entire run. If you haven't listened to our Sandman episode where we similarly covered 80 oh. issues of a thing, we're not going to be able to hit it all. We've got a finite amount of time here, and we're going to hit the hits. <laughs> we love this series. We love everything about it. If we don't talk about a certain part, it is not because it is not interesting. It is just because we have to have a little bit of brevity in the covering of this long of a run. And frankly, we're only covering this because Anne and I have already read this because we love it outside of just weekly reading for this show. We've had 50 issues again anyway, because, you know, so good. it's been a few years. <laughs> it's a lot. But it was so, it was so worth it. It was so worth it. Um, oh my gosh. Where do you even want to start with this? Should we start with the characters? Yeah, let's start with the characters. Let's talk about, let's talk about our boy. Let's talk about Jack. Let's talk about this absolute punk who um, is the exact opposite of... Look, listener, if you've never seen Starman in your life, look up Ted Knight Starman, look at that costume, look at that person, look at that man. Understand that his son rebels from that in every single way. He is a leather jacket-wearing, tattoo-having, goatee... I was gonna say rockin', but he definitely does not rock that goatee. It's a piece of shit. It's awful. I hate it. Um... <clears throat> hard rock rebel and i love everything about him because he decides to make that his entire personality and when he dons the staff he says i'm gonna make this my own and he does and he has one of the coolest non-costumes in all of comics it's it's a look it's a vibe everything about starman is fantastic when i first picked this comic up i was working at the library and I picked up, it was it was actually the last volume, because that was the only one we had on the shelves, but it was the cover for issue, I want to say like 60, no, it was like um 67 or something like that. It's just the, the picture of him flying through Opal City, and you have this green-hued Art Deco city in the background, and this man who couldn't look any more late 80s if he tried, flying through it on a cosmic rod. Yes, exactly, bingo. And I was like, this book has a vibe. It, I, I can't describe it any other way. That aesthetic is incredible and unlike anything I'd seen in the comic before. And I had to I had to pick it up and see what it was about. And I was not disappointed. He is he's a really, really interesting character because you you get the reluctant protagonist a lot. It's a very, very common trope. But I think Jack just pulls it off in a way because we get to see that evolution of him where he gets to the end and he hasn't completely changed but he's definitely grown so much as a man and as a hero that it's very very heartbreaking at the end to see him go because he's such a great hero by the end yes and it is issue 63 that Anne was referencing yes. listeners so if you want to pull that cover up it is the cover for the second compendium as well that's what I held up when Anne said yes bingo <laughs> um I agree. The journey of Jack Knight from begrudging hero to happy hero to tested and worn hero to 
somewhat reluctant hero to retired hero is one of the great journeys of a superhero. Mm-hmm. And to see the great people along the way that made him who he is, is half of the joy of this series. But I would argue, obviously, Ted is a big hero as well in this story. We'll talk mm-hmm. a lot about Ted. I think the deuteragonist of this series is the shade. Yes. Mm-hmm. You have the journey of reluctant hero to retired hero with a big old happy heroism in the middle for Jack. And then you have villain to begrudging ally to hero for the shade. Mm-hmm. And that's the one you don't expect. You kind of expect going into this that Jack Knight is going to become the star man that you need him to be. But you don't suspect the shade. Like I was just flipping through the first couple issues and I saw this double page spread of the shade with all of his tentacle monsters coming out of him. And he looks terrifying. Mm-hmm. And to think that, oh yeah, this is the guy who is one of my favorite characters of all time by the end of this. One of my favorite heroes of all time mm-hmm. is nuts. The the crazy thing is the Shade is one of my favorite DC villains of all time, but I do not think he's a villain. I only call him that because he starts as one. And that is what I remembered him most as. It's D- DC has an amazing library and catalog of heroes as we all know batman superman wonder woman they're they're all perfection but their villains are just as complex and fantastic as the heroes like i love sinestro i love captain cold i love ocean master i love the shade i love all these characters who are conflicted and have very very human um feelings and emotions about what they're doing and I think it's it's even shown like um in the very one of the very last issues of this where Ted gets to I mean sorry, Jack gets to meet up with the first villain he killed, who is the same villain who killed his brother. Oh my god, that spread is so great. That that's amazing. It's from issue six, what I was talking about. The mm-hmm. shade with all of his monsters crawling out of him in one of the first flashback issues. Oh my god, yes. Um <clears throat> but there's the moment where Jack meets the the man he murdered who murdered his own brother and they have a conversation where he's like, yeah, listen, death kind of changes you and I have a chance to look back at my life. It was kind of fucked up what I did and I'm so sorry. And they have a moment where they actually hug. And I love, <clears throat> I love DC giving its villains enough humanity to feel like actual people. And the Shade is one of these characters who is so complex and interesting and has an amazing story past that just makes you want to know more and more about him. And he's a character. Like if I could sit down with a character from DC, I would have a short list and the shade would be on there because he just seems like a great character to sit down and have a cup of tea with and just talk to. He's super, super fascinating. And I love that. I love that so much. You muted. Did you get a chance to read the prose story? From the Shade's perspective about his adventure in Hollywood? Not on this reread, no. Oh, boy. It is 
great, and I highly recommend it to any listeners that haven't gotten the chance to read it. I think that one of the best parts about the Shade and the series in general is the flashback nature and the drawing upon legacy of Starman. This series, really, when you take a step back, because I I wanted to outline all of the storylines over these 87 issues for Anne and I to make sure that we hit all the ones we wanted to. And we just kind of had like a reference point to fall back on. And I realized there aren't that many storylines because there are so many flashbacks or one shots or just little moments in time in between the seven, seven or eight larger stories Mm -hmm. that are in this series I think that's some of the magic and the shade is someone who very much facilitates that all of the shade narrated flashback or flash far away issues are some of the best. And they make this book feel enormous. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what tone you want, if you want to go on an adventure with Oscar Wilde, you can in the same book that you go into deep space with a Mm -hmm. shepherd from the stars who's going to stop the great darkness with a shepherd's crook. Like, book's crazy. It's a a book that is very much rooted in the 90s at times, but yeah, it it gains so much depth chronologically just from jumping back and forth and the shade being the, the focal point of that, the viewpoint character for that so often is such a great way to integrate legacy that I don't think we've seen in a series since this book came out, or at least properly. I love everything flashing back. Shade's relationship with, um, I believe, Matt Matt O'Dare, the reincarnated mm-hmm. sheriff. Yeah, that was, um, some of those flashbacks were incredible. It was Scalp Hunter, right? That was his name? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> some things, not perfect, <laughs> but still you work with it 9.99 out of 10 stars (laughs) Um, oh my gosh so i don't have a ton to say about jack's origin other than it's fun to see him create his own version of starman like you said leather jacket big staff very like of the moment hipster from the nineties with very much a drawing from the past 1950s fashion sense aesthetic that has made this book surprisingly timeless because all of that fashion is very back in right now. And it's just, he's a cool guy. Like Jack Knight is a cool guy that like you want to hang out with. He's someone that every little hipstery nerd like myself is like, man, I want to be like that. I want to be perceived how Jack Knight is perceived gender. There's the gender right there. Is <laughs> Jack Knight. Perfect. Exactly. Listen, Jack Knight would give you the location for his best tattoo shop. Um, he would hang out with you. He'd recommend the latest Queen, Queensryche song because he hasn't stopped listening to music from the 80s. And yeah, you would have a great time. You would definitely go drinking with him again. It's one of the things I love most about Jack is the same thing I love about the shade is their love for Opal city as a setting. 
because they keep talking about it and the way the book handles Opal City, you feel it by the end where you fall in love with this place. And I think that's another thing that the um, the flashback stories do really well is fleshing out that setting so that you feel the history of this place and you feel the soul of the city, which is one of the best things DC Comics does because it has so many iconic cities, Gotham City, Keystone City, Metropolis, when you can actually feel like this is a place that you could live in and love and is unlike anywhere else in the real world. I think that's one of the most remarkable things that DC Comic can do. I think one of the best things they do with Opal City, using the flashbacks, like you said, (laughs) is talk about how cities age and grow. I think one of the most interesting parts coming from out west, where the country is younger than it is back here out east, is seeing the natural growth of 300 years worth of people living Mm -hmm. in one spot. Like, to be honest, the house that my parents live in right now, they are the first people to build a house right there in the way they have. Like, there is no sense of history in their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And there is in New York City and there is an Opal City. Like, I love the idea of having a French Quarter. I love having, like, the old town where the streets are narrow and the shops are a little more quirky versus the new parts of town where their skyscrapers are. And it just is so cool and so interesting to learn the history of your city. One of my favorite activities is standing in the Dumbo Pier with my wife looking out over Manhattan and having her explain the history of the city of New York city, just walking you through the neighborhoods as you can see them explaining why there's a gap between downtown and midtown skyscrapers and how it has to do with rich people, not wanting to live next to their servants that lived in the villages. And that's why they're called the East village, West village and Greenwich village because it was the village outside of the city when the city was just downtown that all the servants and poor people lived in. And so then when all the rich people were over downtown they wanted to move way uptown and so they moved to what is now midtown that's where all the skyscrapers sprung up again and so there's this gap in between where the villages are that all their servants had to live and so then you have just like this interesting growth of new york city and opal city feels real because this series talks about those kind of weird little stories and quirks about how that city sputtered and grew and changed yeah. just perfect it's great from an art perspective too it really adds to the to the themes of legacy because it adds like this anachronistic feel of this man flying around in a leather jacket with the art deco in the buildings that look like they came out of the 20s and the 30s and it really reminds you just like the, the passage of time and how things have changed and how some things stay the same it's such it's it's the perfect location for this story to be told and i'm so so glad it's it's one of my favorite places in the dc universe i just i would go on vacation to opal city oh yeah i might move to opal city honestly listen listen if i if i could tour a fictional universe i would go on a road trip of dc america and I would hit up every single fictional city, and I would end by taking a flight to Gorilla City. Let's be okay, girl. You you're gotta, so real for that. You're so real for that. <laughs> Jimmy gotta, Olsen was so right. Jimmy Olsen was right. You get listen. No, there's a couple more steps. I got. I gotta stop at Themyscira. There has to be a way. Hello, I'd um, like to stop at Dommy Mommy Island, please. <laughs> don't stop. I hate it when you read me like a book. Um. 
it's it, it would be great these it's talking about why i love this this comic universe so much it's so alive and yeah and you want to talk about history the fact that there's so many starmen in this book and not a single one of them goes untouched because we got tom color from the legion of superheroes who plays a part in this we have obviously michael who shows up for a long time and becomes like a brother to jack and by I loved, the- I loved his yossification. He yeah. was so lame at the beginning of the book with his like receding hairline mm-hmm. down to his mid back. I was like, this guy, what the hell's going on with this guy? Every time he's on the page, I hate him. And then when he goes to space and he's like, I'm going to become a groovy war criminal, baby. I'm like, wait a second. Now you're compelling. Oh no. <laughs> Listen, he got himself a man and he's like, I'm going to start getting my act together i got this and he comes back and he's like i'm the most awesome person you've ever seen in your entire life will i do war crimes maybe but i look fabulous doing it so oppenheimer 2023 <laughs> shit no you're right so a big part of the origin story and then the book in general is jack's relationship with his dad ted mm-hmm can we talk about Starman's handling of fathers and sons? Yeah, please. You want to take it away? Yes. <laughs> I... <laughs> if you're a regular listener to the show, you might know that Dallas Taylor's got some daddy issues. Love my dad. He's a good guy. He is a little emotionally distant. Less so now than he was during my upbringing. But I very much understand the I often say like it doesn't make any sense when characters are like I never told him that I loved him and I don't want to get into too much spoilery territory yet for the back end of this series because we had one listener specifically say like I've listened to I read half the book can you give me like a we're gonna talk about the end now warning so I don't want to do that yet okay but The one person in my life that I feel like were he to disappear right now that I would have wished I had said I love you more to would be my dad. Because I do love my dad, but we don't necessarily have the kind of relationship where like that's comes up in our conversations. You know, like my mom, my friends, my wife, my siblings, like it's I love you. I love you. I love you. Like they all know. But there's just this wall between my dad and I where like it's quietly understood. Like he loves me and I love him. And we say it every once in a while. And every time I'm always the one that says it first. And then he like uncomfortably says it back. And like, I know he means it and he loves me, but like, boy, is it like a hot coal coming out of his mouth. And to see Jack and Ted have a similar relationship where they are such different men that love each other and care about each other, but just are not the same. With Ted being this scientist, this genius, and Jack being like a punk and kind of a bad boy, but still ultimately caring what his dad thinks. Like, I think me and my dad are kind of switched. Like, my dad is just like this bad to the bone cowboy guy. And I'm like this in touch with my feelings, want to go to the museum and try and write a novel kind of guy. And we just don't always see eye to eye. But that feeling of like, I want you to be proud of me for who I am. 
And I want you to understand that I'm proud of you for who you are. And I under- I want to carry on your legacy of the things that you did well. I just have to do it in my own way. Felt incredibly real and incredibly touching to me to see portrayed in fiction. And this book helped me sort through and identify aspects of my own relationship with my own father that are stronger than I give them credit for and that I want to strengthen. Because I think one of the best things that Ted does for Jack is quietly support the things Jack is good at. Mm-hmm. It's like, ultimately, I don't think my success at the end of the day is the kind of success that my dad would see as success in his own life. But he knows that they are that for me. And so he is incredibly supportive and incredibly excited when I am succeeding that way. And I think that's true for Ted as well. That while Jack being Starman isn't the same way that Ted would do it, Ted is so proud of Jack. And like me as a successful man is not how my dad would do it, but my dad is so proud of me for doing it. And I think that's cool. Like that doesn't come up in a lot of comic books. And I like that it's messy too. Because like I I love that Superman is so nice to his son John. But like I don't that is not my experience. Like I do not have a I'm proud of everything you are, son, all the time kind of dad. I have a dad kind of like Ted Knight, where you're like, ah, dad was kind of just told me I'm a disappointment and he hates me. Oh, well, all right. We're going to have to move on with that for a little while and circle back around. And I think some of that mess is what makes it feel human and real and not like an. Not the kind of thing that feels hollow or like you're wrong if you're not this way mm-hmm. you know yeah nice i i like it a lot yeah it's it's the i think it's the relationship that is the heart of the series that makes this series as special as it is because jack has a lot of different relationships with different people through this with like shade and um sadie and the mist and but it's really his relationship with his father that grounds him and guides him to this entire run and it's I think it's one of the cool things that making a character like Starman lets you do. It lets you tell a more realistic father-son story. I think one of the reasons why they can't tell a story like that with Superman is it's really hard to look to to take the character of Superman and say, "Hey, what if we make him really, really fallible as a person?" Because then you'll have people who be like, "Well, he would never do that with his son. He would be the perfect father because he's Superman. He can't. He would never tell his son something stupid or tell or act like he was disappointing him. That's so out of character." You have people, you know, character checking these people every five seconds, and I feel if a character like Ted Knight, you don't have that. That's one of the benefits of him being a lesser-known member of the JSA. Like, I don't think you could tell a story like this. You could probably tell a story pretty close with um, Alan Scott and his kids because they've definitely had issues in the past. Um, But I don't think the upcoming Jay Garrick story is going to have similar vibes to this with him and his daughter. It's going to it. It's one of the things that I really love seeing with obscure characters. It's like the more and more I read comics, the less and less I find myself gravitating towards characters like Batman and Superman and Spider-Man. And it's not because I'm bored of them or I'm over them. I feel like there is more honesty and sincerity that can happen with the characters who are not being watched like a hawk by DC editorial. 
and they have the freedom to actually be human and to make mistakes and to have these experiences and that relate to so many people. And I think that's why there's so many gems outside that people have just never heard of. Like the number of people who I'm sure have never heard of Spectre, the Spectre by Ostrander and Mandrake, and who'd be utterly surprised by the humanity holding that story. It's just, it's, I, if you're going to stick to big two comics, I feel like diving into those back issues and finding those hidden gems is one of the greatest experiences you can have because you get these moments that you don't get anywhere else. And I think that's the really special thing about Ted Knight in the story and Starman as a character. I absolutely agree. Do you have a favorite story arc that you want to talk about from sort of the first half? So pre-space. Pre-space, I think probably my favorite story arc, it was probably the Miss crime wave because seeing this new version of the mist come to power was really the first moment where I felt like all the gears on the story were firing at all times because it involved every character every aspect of Opal City and it's gonna I'm gonna be honest it's the one that I didn't have a chance to reread for this episode so it's the one I'm probably rustiest on but it's the one that left the biggest impact with me because the new mist is a terrifying character. And I think that her relationship with Jack Knight is equally terrifying and manipulative, but I love the relationship that she has with her father as like similar in ways to Ted and Jack's, but also so much worse because he is such a manipulative and abusive figure in her life. And she tries to be the person that he is but it's not for her, it's for him. And seeing the monster she becomes because of it is heart-wrenching and terrifying at the same time. And I also think some spoilers for the end of the Mist's story. Mm-hmm. Um, when she is confronted at the end of the book about how poorly she did as Jack's arch nemesis. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly interesting because right before that is when I was like, what has the mist been up to? Like there was the mist one shot that she had, but I was like, she said she was going to like test him and be his arch nemesis. And like girl did none of that. (laughs) And so then by the end of the book to have her dad be like, you were terrible as the mist. And to have her be like, I never wanted to be this like i Mm -hmm. didn't you know and juxtapose that against what's going on in jack and ted's life that we'll get into in the back half of the episode after we give a back half of starman spoiler warning it's just really smart and really honestly it felt like a oops that character got away from us what's something clever we can do to like talk about that kind of thing yeah because that was um that was one of the things that honestly did let me down a little bit because i expected a lot more especially after that first arc where i'm like okay yeah she's she's business she can see she's she can do some shit she's she's here to kick ass and take names um she 
the thing I remember most about that arc is that she terrified me. Yeah. And it takes a lot for a villain to do that. Yeah. I feel like she has a really good balance of menacing and unhinged mm-hmm. that not everybody can strike perfectly. Yeah. There's, it's it's one of those things where it's, I should give all the people who have not read the story a heads up because there is a trigger warning in this story for sexual assault and it happens several times to several different characters, all of which, by the way, are men, which was the most surprising part to me because that you don't see that as often in comics, but that was, it was certainly one of those moments that took me by surprise and just let you know, if you, you take, if you jump into the series, it's going to happen a couple times and it'll take you off guard both times because i did not expect either one correct that was just on my mind wanted to get that out for anyone that hasn't seen it yet so i'd like to give those warnings when i can yes thank you um i'd say the my favorite from the first half of the series other than the stories with david which we can kind of talk about as like a whole Mm -hmm. would be the wesley dodds crossover Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Him and the Sandman. That whole pulpy adventure was just a lot of fun. And I feel it was the first major we're going to do a crossover with a Golden Age character storyline that then became pretty common in the back half of the book. Yeah. But the voice for Wesley was great. Wesley's wife was great. The mystery was fun. The adventure was big. Like That for me was, okay, this might be become one of my favorite comics of all time like this has been the best i've read in a long time for a while now but now this is climbing up next to saga and hellboy and all-star superman books that like i will think about for the rest of my life hell yeah also love starman kicking captain marvel's ass that was it was good times (laughs) good times all around i felt so bad for that child it's like he's just a boy he's just, he's just a lad i he love just... when star starman being like you are a grown-up be smart about this and billy Batson being like no i'm not gave me big me playing among us and just lighting up one of my teammates for like making a stupid decision i'm like are you serious do you have a brain and they were like i'm 11 and i was like i gotta go outside <laughs> oh, oh. Oops, I was getting mad at the prefrontal cortex of an 11-year-old. <laughs> Time to stop playing Among Us. That's exactly what Ted Knight did to Shazam. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> He's just bullying. He's literally a minor. And you're bullying him. Unbelievable. I... That was... I, I love the crossovers. I love seeing all the Golden Age characters appear... Um, the one thing I almost forgot, because I just want to talk about them for a second. I love the O'Dares. One of my favorite things about that, that Sins of the Child um, arc with the Mist, is seeing Matt's character growth. As he's like, you know what, I've been a really bad cop for a long time. I should probably cut the shit out. And him, his redemption there and his continued struggle afterwards was really, really cool to see. Because I'm pretty sure it happens in that arc, right? I'm not just imagining yeah, that. Yeah, it starts okay. there. That's when he decides to break good. And then <laughs> it continues through the rest of the book yeah. as sort of a background story. The O'Dares are great. Oh, They're yeah. like if you split Commissioner Gordon into five different funky redheads. little redheads. Yeah. 
Uh, it's like the Brady Bunch of cops. Yep. I appreciate them for Hope, who gives me my one consistent female character through most of this run. I appreciate you. I love you. I will never forget you. Um, <laughs> shout out Hope. They named her appropriately. Exactly. She gives Anne's only hope. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a boys talking about boys emotions book. Yeah. And something I've been thinking a lot about with both Oppenheimer and Barbie coming out and everybody uh-huh. deciding they need to see both of them. Which you is should. Like, which you should. They're both great. It's just people begrudging a thing for being what it is instead of what they think it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I I want you to understand, listener, that Starman is a story about fathers and sons and brothers and, like, the growth of a young, reckless man into a responsible adult man. Like, this is a story about male emotions, the male experience, and, like, self-fulfillment as a man. And it's great. But, like, I don't want you to be disappointed if you come in here and you're like, man, that's a real (laughs) sausage party in there in Starman. (laughs) You know? Like, I love stories that aren't that, but I don't think that this should be knocked for being what it set out to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not the story's fault. It's indicative of a, another issue with society where it's like a lot of times publishers will say like these are the stories that matter because these are the audiences we're pitching to, and sometimes you get the the golden egg. You get the the one savior out there like Neil Gaiman. Like, hey, I'm just gonna tell stories about all kinds of people because there's all kinds of people out there you're like thank you neil gaiman and those are (laughs) you you know what you're getting into just so you know starman is definitely all of that and even though not a guy still greatly enjoyed it yeah but if if you're looking at feminine energy it's not here go read huntress year one go read manhunter i have all the recommendations for you for all the books you should be reading because there are also plenty of hidden female gems out there in DC Comics. That's the cool thing about it. And I love that. Yeah, and I think that's another big point of this Vertigo era of comics is like, there are definitely some Sausage Party books. Mm-hmm. But there's also Sandman going on. Like, the biggest comic from there has a super diverse cast, like you talk about. And you've got the Death miniseries. And I just, I think ultimately more a more diverse publishing line is better because i would rather have a few really great stories like starman speaking to my experience than 52 i just pulled that number out of nowhere i don't don't think too much about that then have 52 books all come out and 50 of them are mediocre versions of that and two are good (laughs) and none of them are about anything else You know, like, there is such thing as too much of a good thing, DC Comics. And if you diversify, and Marvel Comics, if you diversify your portfolio a little bit, everybody wins. If you have both Barbie and Oppenheimer, everybody wins. If you only have two Oppenheimers, you cannibalize your own market. Mm -hmm. 
By the way, DC is the most Barbenheimer it's ever been right at this point. I finally reached the saturation point where I'm like, okay, I'm happy. <laughs> Let's keep this rolling. Let's keep moving. You're giving me exactly what I want, and I'm so happy. It's been 10 years following you as a publisher, and it's finally at a point where I'm like, I'm content. <laughs> so this is very cool. <laughs> Go support the Donna DC, and if you don't, I will burn all of your Spider-Man comics. Because why are you still buying Spider-Man comics? I swear to God. Because I like them. Oh my God. Oh. Fine. I'm still burning them though. I was very sad about issue 25. Mm Mm-hmm. But I've liked a lot of the other ones. It's... Stories with David. It's fine. You're still enough. It's fine. <laughs> oh uh, my god. I am Kenneth. I saw that hoodie. Wait, Mattel, really? Mattel is selling that exact hoodie, and I'm like, oh my god. Your boy might need it. Your boy might need it. I was thinking about sending it to all my male friends and being like, this is how I see you. You are Kenneth. Please. <laughs> I am the just can of your life, and he's just can. <laughs> no, listen, that describes you. That describes Evan. That describes Morgan. Shout out, Morgan. I know you're not listening to this. This shall, it's all, all the men in my life are can, and I love you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you don't exist unless my eyes are directly on you, but I do like when they are on you. <laughs> you're, you're big city can. <laughs> I wish my job was beach. You know how down right? I am right now? Yeah. That, what did they do to us moment of Barbie was when Ken was like really sad. And I was like, I understand your emotions why you're sad, but like I have all those two and I have to go to work tomorrow. So I don't know what to tell you, Ken. Suck it up. Suck it up, big boy. I have felt everything you're feeling, and I didn't have a breakdown, and I had to go to work. You're like, suck it up, big boy. Oh, wait, am I the problem? Oh. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm the patriarchy. Oh, my God. And then I just curl up and start to roll around (laughs) on the ground. What did they do to us? What did we let them do? I thought I was going to get eaten and all I could think was I don't have to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) I thought I was going to die and I was a little excited because I didn't have to go to work. (laughs) What did we let them do? (laughs) So stories with David. Stories with David. Good. (laughs) Every time. Every time an issue went black and white, I was like, Oh, yeah. Look, David was a lot cooler in death than he was in life. That's all. Death really mellowed him out. I tell you what. Sometimes you're better beyond the veil. Hey, listen. No, no. I I get it, though. If If I met death in person, I'd probably be a lot more chipper for the rest of eternity, too. Okay. Oh no, there's a hot goth down here. Oh Damn. my god. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh I mean nope, death. Nope, yep, yep. That's pretty good. Damn, girl. Yeah. I 
I loved that relationship. Mm-hmm. I loved seeing them get close. Again, I feel like there's this stupid animosity between siblings over mm-hmm. nothing. And then you become adults and all of a sudden you get to make a new friend. Where you're like, wait a second. You're a friend that has all my same references. What the hell? Why did I hate you for so long? We're the same thing. Oh, you're telling me you're a huge flushed away fan as well? You also think Madagascar 2 is the funniest movie ever made? Your dad's a weird cowboy too? We have so much in common. I can't believe how much in common we have. I spent 23 years thinking you were lame as hell. And Jack Knight got to have that with David. Yeah, it was it was a good relationship. And I the, one of my favorite issues was the issue where he got to go to dinner with David and all the deceased members of the JSA. And they had a lot of fun telling old war stories. And it was that that was a wonderful issue. One of the best splash pages ever, by the way, mm-hmm. to end that one out. Absolutely. Hell yeah. Absolutely. So do we want to call out the spoiler warning right now and talk about the ending of this book? Yep. Yep. All right. So if you have not, if you are the one specific listener that asked for this, <laughs> don't say we never did nothing for you. This is your spoiler warning. We're going to talk about the finale of Starman, which I don't think ruins the book if you know it. Like, it's not like a huge, like, <gasps> twist. Yeah. But it's fun to go in blind. So. Yeah. Thank you for listening. Come back next week. See you then. All right, everybody else. Welcome to the cool half of the podcast. What did you, before we get into like the finale finale, what did you think about the space epic? Girl, it was crazy. I was like, I love Swamp Thing too. Mm -hmm. I also like Swamp Thing. You mean we're going to be traveling through space after finding self-actualization? When we got to the time travel part, and I'm like, oh my god, the Legion's here. Oh my god. Anytime, listen, anytime Phantom Girl shows up, my my serotonin levels go through the roof. I was like, my girl, she's here. Everything's perfect now. Everything's okay. Yeah, it's the, like, second Legion, whatever. And they keep getting rebooted every ten years. Forget about it. It's Phantom Girl is Phantom Girl. or Unless she's Phantom Lass. Same thing. Um, it's it's a great time all around. And Space Cabby. There's Space Cabby. Freaking Space Cabby. Which was great. Yeah. I don't, is that a reference to something? This is my only experience. No, no it's just Space Cabby. Space Cabby is just such a ridiculously awesome character because he's so stupid, but in the perfect cosmic way. Love Space Cabby. And you Huge know, yes. If you're a DC Cosmic fan, there's so many f- cool things that happen. Um, like Tiger from the, the Omega Men shows up. Um, Medphil is having some PTSD after Hal Jordan kind of fucked everything up. Um, understandably, he is a very upset vegetable. Um, there's we a get lot. to go to Krypton in the past and meet Jor-El. Krypton in the past. For one of the best issues. Starman is the reason that Superman got to come to Earth. That rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That rules. Oh, and Adam Strange. There's a great Adam Strange story in here. Adam Strange is so underutilized. He is so cool. Pulpy sci-fi. Amazing. When DC does it right, chef's kiss. Perfecto. Read Strange Adventures. 
<laughs> Sometimes he's not perfect. <laughs> I love that book. I, I never said it was a bad book. I just said sometimes Adam Strange is not perfect. <laughs> sometimes he does a little war crime. <laughs> a little war crime. Sometimes you're just going to have like, to sprinkle in a little bit of war crime to your, <laughs> your you, you space adventure. That's the blood of innocence. <laughs> Delicious. Hmm, tastes like Dune in here. <laughs> Shit. Just Paul things. Just Paul things. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Also, the art change for the second half of the series, beginning with the space epic and then just continuing forward, pretty seamless, but also noticeable in a good way. Like, Tony Harris has a pretty distinct style that I came to be aware of reading Ex Machina, which is the most I have no idea how I feel about this book I've ever read. And then... To come back to this, which is how he got the job for Ex Machina, is just the last like five issues he was on. I was like, you are an art god. Like before that, I was like, wow, you're a really talented artist that has realized all these characters very well. And I love it. And then the layouts in those last five issues is like, you're an art god. And then I have no idea where he went other than I know he takes a million years to draw an issue. So maybe that was why he had to leave. And then Schienberg showed up and was like let's get a little silly with it (laughs) and i loved the little bit of silly with it the big bug eyes with the little pupils every time something crazy happened was perfect slapstick gold baby Mm -hmm. no notes the thing okay so i had a little bit of a problem with the space arc i want to feel if you i want to know if you felt the same and it's because of what I was talking about earlier, where I felt like Opal City became such a character that it's like, I did miss it a little bit when we were in space. Oh, absolutely. There was, yeah. I loved every issue. We got a flashback to what everyone else was doing. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck who a black condor is, but he lives in Opal City now. So I care. We got, listen, the, the new cast members to Opal City at the end. Ralph got, Dibney? Ralph Dibney and Sue Dibney. They're so awesome. I hope nothing bad ever happens to them. Um, Perfect. Perfect. This was the first time I felt very sad about Identity Crisis because I've never Listen, read that. No, I've never no. read that. And I exactly. was like, oh, now I understand why that book is hated so much because, yeah. like, how dare you do that to these people? When I read Identity Crisis for the first time, I loved it. And I had no reference for Women in Refrigerators. I had no reference for who Sue Dimney and Ralph Dimney were. This was the first and only story I'd ever read with them in it. And every time since that I've read another Sue Dibney story, Brad Meltzer gets a little bit more evil in my mind. Where I'm like, how you... S- okay, Brad Meltzer, if you're listening, you're not listening. But I mean this jokingly, mostly. I was like, <laughs> reading through this recently, I my mind just went to, you sick fuck. How did you... Why did you... How could you... The moment when she's just watching him and she's like, all she can think is, I love this man. As he's beating up on those criminals. Like they're so. Innocent. And perfect. And oh my god. The 2000s. Oh my god. Do you, you want to talk about. <sighs> no. You want something that makes yes, you happy? I do. Issue 44 of Starman. Things that go bump in the night. A Tale of Time Pass, 1943, happens during the space arc, starring the Phantom Lady and the Plains Witch. Mm-hmm. That is a perfect comic book right there. 
Oh yeah. This spread of the Phantom Lady walking out is the most gangstalicious thing that has ever occurred in the history of comics. And then over here on the opposite page, the Plains Witch just being like, "What?" And then flying around casting hexes. Mm-hmm. She's a cowgirl witch that does magic and guns. This is a perfect comic book. Every Phantom Lady thing that happens is incredible. I want an 87 issue series on Phantom Lady because By when the she's way, sitting in that bar with her friends and is like, oh, me doing superheroes? Never. Let's go. Ruin men's lives. And her friend's like, I love that too. And then I she love- goes and kicks men in the face. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. I love that this book had um, two really cool female characters added for that last part that I love. I love Sue Dibney. I love Dee's Phantom Girl. Um, you know what they both have in common? Beautiful. Both fucking fridged in the span of a year for the sake of Infinite Crisis. Because <laughs> Sue happens in Identity Crisis. And then Phantom Girl dies with the rest of the Freedom Fighters, including Black Condor, I believe fighting the league of soup no it's not the league it's the secret society deathstroke fucking murders her ass and she's like on his sword impaled and she's like why and he's like it's just business darling i'm like i fucking hate you i think that's where my hatred with deathstroke started and also by the way if you're listening anyone who might be there's there's a reason that black canary would never fucking work with deathstroke in a million years oh my god are you actually shitting me i don't care what barbara wants her to do she's not faking that shit and she's definitely not going to start feeling for this man halfway through he murdered her female colleagues for fun he did not give a shit and oh my god sorry sorry good comics i'm not i'm, I'm thinking about good comics not the one comic that will not be named. It's fine. Everything's fine. You okay, Dallas? How are you doing? Returning to Phantom Lady and her gold deniers, because I refuse to read any <clears throat> stupid comics, and so they never yep. happened. Exactly. <laughs> we have a page of a bunch of knocked out men laying around Phantom Lady, who has a crazy awesome ca- outfit. And the narration says, Now, well, you might ask how this had any bearing on life in Opal City at that time. And then she says in her word balloon, Tramp indeed. The nerve. As she like wipes her hands of kicking these guys' ass. And then the next catcher says, suffice it to say that it did. And I was like, hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, l- I don't need it to, frankly. Show me more badass women in the 40s doing crazy things. I don't she- care if they have anything to do with space. She was a baddie, and I love that for her. I love it so much. Also, the one, I don't remember his name... Mr. Toots, the, the 1940s tough guy that worked for Bonetti? the banks. Bonetti. Bobo. Bobo Bonetti. That's a real guy right there. That's a real right. comics gentleman. Also, I'm kind of happy that Solomon Grundy got evil again. I didn't like nice Solomon Grundy. That weirded me out the whole time. Mm-hmm. Solly. Like, hey, shut up. It. Get rid of that guy. <laughs> he dropped a building on him. We did get rid of him. <laughs> wasn't enough. I tried so hard to save him. I'm like, what are we doing right now? What what are we doing? <laughs> Leave his ass. Oh my gosh. You know the song. He's gonna be back. <laughs> Girl, we don't even care about him. Also, that guy that went evil because he was in love with his best friend's wife, that was crazy. Like that being the big reveal of the space arc is like that dude's like, Have you seen your wife? She is bad as hell. Of course I'm gonna kill you. I was like oh. relatable. That's crazy. 
is it relatable? Is that the is that the right word? Listen, we want nuanced we want nuanced villains, and I think the only thing that could get me to do is anything crazy is a hot woman. There we go. I moved across the country without a job for a hot woman. <laughs> relatable. Relatable. Relatable content. Okay. So yeah, we have in the notes next the shade. Actually evil. Because when they get back from space, after finding out the guy they went to go get, who is Sadie's brother, who, by the way, is not actually her brother, but just the guy who reincarnated to be her brother, but it's not her brother's soul. It's it's a lot of reincarnation in this book. A lot of reincarnation in this book. I don't don't know. I don't know how I feel about it all. I don't read it. Quit trying to shove your religion down my throat. Um, don't worry about it. Um, the the finale where everything just comes to a head and it feels for the longest time like the shade is the bad guy. And I'm so worried. I was too, but it's like I I had future context because I remember like I've seen the shade pop up in Green Arrow. He's still a good guy later. So what the fuck's going? On? And then they hit us, and then they're like, oh, it's a parallax. Oh, it's a it's a it's a possession it's a phoenix thing oh he's got he got a little bad in him and the little bad is just a little guy a little french guy who was like i am the bad guy i like that he was like i can't stand this stupid accent no more <laughs> i'm gonna become french we oui, oui. <laughs> and i am very evil oh my god and it's revealed that like all the shit the shade has done is because he's got his arch nemesis trapped in his body, which, you know, the sentry is like, tell me about it. Insane, right? Who among <laughs> us? When that happens. Who among us doesn't have a little evil man inside of us? I've got a little yeah. evil man inside of me. <laughs> I was going to say, do you have something you want to tell me? <laughs> which of these episodes were really Dallas and which of them were a little French man? <laughs> Whenever Boys 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 started, that was definitely the little Frenchman. That was the little evil man. <laughs> um, I loved the quick aside of the all-girls JSA issue. I feel like mm-hmm. that one was for Anne's. Yes. And that cover art for that one, drawn by Alex Ross. Also, that feels like that's for Anne's. That was it's for Anne's. All girls, was... all the time. I was like... Alex Ross. Like, come on. I was a little bummed at first because I'm like, oh, of course they went and they just all they did was get captured and the JSA had to actually come save them. I'm like, of course, that was what what it was. I'm like, focus, focus. It was based on a golden age story. That's what happened in the golden age. The women were written like that. It's fine. It's fine. Focus on the good shit. And then I got to the part. It's like their boyfriends mind wipe them. <laughs> what? They what? <laughs> That's not Okay. <laughs> Good boyfriends. Good boyfriends. No! No! Bad! Good boyfriends. And Nelson's like, hey, me and Izzy are dancing forever. I'm like, did you tell her you mind wiped her? Did you do that? Did you? Did she get it back? Did she know? It's oh not gaslighting God. if you mipe the mind. <laughs> She's not crazy. She just doesn't remember. It's the 1940s, baby. Gaslight, gatekeep, men in black. <laughs> God, unbelievable. But yeah, so the evil little Frenchman burns down Opal City and 
Starman and his amazing friends are like, oh no, not on our watch. And they're like, da, 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 pow! and then the shade is like, thanks guys. <laughs> and kills the little French man <laughs> to death. There's there's some fun endings there. Um, the 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 couple, the the married couple that was evil, and Adam Strange is like, so I just Zeta beamed your husband into the ceiling. He kind of he splattered everywhere. Cool as shit. Yo, when he just said, she's like, what does that mean? And he just says, you're a widow. I was like, that is the coldest shit I've ever seen Adam Strange do. And I did read the mini. I did read that mini. <laughs> Get James Robinson on an Adam Strange book, baby. He'd do so good. He might have. Who did that? He would do so good. I'm thinking. There was an Adam Strange book that came out in the 2000s, and I can't remember who wrote it. It might have been Robinson. I don't think it was, though. But yeah, so (sighs) your boy Jack saves the day, saves Opal, Mm -hmm. and then it's like, I'm tired of this, granddad. And then his dad is like, you can't tell me I'm a ghost. Yeah, I was going to say, I think he left out something there. (laughs) Just what happened to his, um, what happened to his daddy? Him died. (laughs) They don't turn him into a nuke. (laughs) They said the power of the stars is in the palm of your hand. It's going on. Those silent panels of the nuke going off in space and yeah. him dying, I was like, damn, that's a superhero. That made me cry. That, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. That made me cry. And that, the, the eulogy um, issue, the, the cover of just that statue in the rain, yeah. beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Um, it was really sad to have Ted Knight mm-hmm. die. But then the last ted jack and david issue in the black and white was really sweet mm-hmm. i really loved that um we get the flash forward or the time travel story with the starman in the 1950s who turns out to be david so david did get some flowers he got to be starman for a while jack gets to be there to introduce his dad to his mom in a very back to the future way which is yeah. very fun and I feel like you get a good farewell to these men that mean so much to Jack. Like it is deeply sad that Ted died. It's you retroactively feel sad that David died in a way that you didn't in the first issue, but there is a sense of catharsis because of these flashback issues. Mm -hmm. And so when Jack decides at the end of the book to retire, it makes sense. Then you are excited for the next chapter of his life. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And you know, everything that happened with Ted at the end, his last battle, with Dr. Phosphorus, I think it's really cool. Cause it puts in like, um, during the mist issue, we get a, a touch on this. Cause this is during the nineties. The death of Superman has happened. A sense of nihilism has crept in the comics and suddenly no character is safe. Everyone's everyone's at the firing range and characters are dying left and right. This is, the era of characters dying has begun. Um, and just old Ted, human as he is, going up against a man with a radioactive touch, terrifying. And the fact you have to watch the entire fight from outside the house, only to find out the outcome after Ted escapes, absolutely insane. And very, very tense. 
and I don't I can't remember the last time I felt that much that much tension reading a superhero fight. Like I never feel like the superhero or the character is in danger anymore. But it's the the way they built up Doctor Phosphorus to that point as someone that te- the, like the only villain that Ted still thought about. Like he he thought more about Doctor Phosphorus since he escaped than he did like the Mist. He was worried that that was going to be his end. And setting that up at least 20 issues ahead of when it actually happens. Because I'm pretty sure Dr. Phosphorus pops up before the space stuff starts. Dr. Phosphorus is has a conversation with Ted in the first Shade crime wave. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah like, that was set up at the beginning of the book. Yeah. God. Could you imagine? No. Not yeah. me. Um, <laughs> Comics used to be 80 issues long. Can you? No. Some still are. If you're lucky. Like, I was... That image. I was so proud of Captain Marvel going 50 issues. I was, too. Or Immortal Hulk going 50, being like, wow, what a tome. The last time I felt a story that... I felt a comic told a long story like this, and I haven't gotten to the end of it yet, but Immortal Hulk is the last time I feel like a comic really achieved that and had that same set of background characters the whole time. Because Captain Marvel's great, but it doesn't keep it doesn't make that background cast as important as Carol is. No. And it also, it's a series of trade paperbacks that equal 50 issues. Like I'm yeah. very proud of it. I think it's cool, but it is a series of trade paperbacks. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas I think the only thing in recent memory that is comparable to Starman would be Jason Aaron's time on Thor, which mm-hmm. was not one to whatever. Like it went through a whole clusterfuck of numbered issues, but ultimately those two omnibuses next to each other. That is a modern day Starman epic. and immortal hulk like those are the two runs in recent memory i mean maybe scott snyder's batman but that's only 50 issues and it feels a little different yeah it feels like it's for the trade but it's it's longer yeah yeah i would say thor and immortal hulk can you think of any others oh my gosh um Tom Taylor's Nightwing, I gotta say. <laughs> I'm sorry. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't resist. I Not off the top of my head. I'm sure there is one or two, though. Um, Gail Tom King's Batman. Prey is pretty close. I love Gail Simone's Birds of Prey. I still need to read that. I've never even read one issue. We'll get there. We'll get there. Yes, we Wonder, will. When we, when we read Wonder Woman, that's our that's our gateway drug into Gail Simone, and we'll we'll get there. Those are real good comics still, by the way. I was rereading them now as a Wonder Woman fan, not as someone who was falling in love with the character through that run. And I was like, yeah, no, it makes sense that this is the one that did it for me. This rules. Yeah. Damn good shit. Can't wait to talk about it in a couple weeks. I agree. Um, something I want to make sure we talk about before we go into mm-hmm. questions. We talked about stories with David. We talked about space, talked about the shade. Um, I want to talk about favorite one shots. Yeah. Uh, the Christmas issue. Where Starman hangs out with a homeless Santa Claus and takes care of him, helps him out throughout the night, and then invites him to Christmas dinner. That was a huge, like, this is a superhero. Yeah. One of my favorite single issues in all of comics. Absolutely. And then um, Jack's conversation with Superman at the end of this book about whether or not it's going to be okay to retire. I think uh, Snage Bjerg draws a great Superman. I think... James Robinson has a great voice for Superman and 
that issue understands how much Superman means to superheroes in general. Like, I think it should matter when Superman appears in your comic book. Yeah. I think it should matter. And I think, you know, not to talk about movies for a second, but I really hope that that's what we get to in a, the new DCE, the new DCU is just a Superman that feels like he's important and not just because the filmmaker says so, but one that actually has the, the presence and the kindness and the compassion to make me believe it. Absolutely. Uh, do you have any other favorite single issues, Anne? Um, no, just the Christmas one is the one that always comes to mind. I do love the fact that it, it's not a single issue in the way the others are, but the the way that the women were the ones that inspired Ted to take his last fight. I thought that was really, really cool. That is really, really cool. Um, I also... I loved all the flashback issues to Ted's adventures in the golden age. Mm-hmm. I thought they were fun. I thought it was great that we got to see his different personality and the different tone of his Starman against Jack's through yeah. firsthand. And then ultimately I think the greatest comic book ever made next to Batman versus predator shout out Matt Draper is none other than Batman plus Hellboy plus Starman crossover. Drawn by Mike Mignola, drawn by, written by James Robinson. They punch Nazis, folks. They push Cthulhu-like entities back through portals. Hellboy says, crap. Starman shows up in a great splash page. This might be comics, folks. I don't know if anything else we've talked about today has been comics, but I know for a fact that was comics. It wasn't on the app. That's okay. I understand. It was in the compendium. So thank I you for the, that. I need a compendium so much. They have two of them. It sounds so badass. I, I have I have a beef with DC <laughs> Comics, though, because you can oh, literally... <laughs> no way. OMG, girl. What? <laughs> what are you talking about? Oh, my gosh. OMG, bestie. Um <laughs> best friends. You can literally remember last year when they were like printing books is very expensive right now. The first compendium Starman was before that, and so it has a cardstock cover with like a matte finish and thick pages. Nice. And then the one that was printed last year that wraps up the series has like phone book thick pages that are so floppy and has like this weird glossy crappy cover. Like it is you can feel how much worse printed it is. I can see. I can visually see the way that book is bending. And it terrifies me. Oh, do the side by side. Do the side by side. Oh, I'm so glad this is a visual podcast. This is insane, listener. This is insane. Now you're going to see, listener, with your ear holes, that the Starman Compendium 1 is standing perfectly rigid, perfectly mm-hmm. stiff. What a document. Well, erect, you could say. Some might even say Starman is erect. And in the left corner, we have the Starman Floppy Dick Special Compendium 2. (laughs) DC Comics, rectify this for me for free. Be rectify this. (laughs) Thank you very much. My final note is that I want to talk about how this is the perfect superhero comic book, Bildungsroman, 
right? Spider-Man is the preeminent. Yeah, thank you. So that's a German word because I'm better than most people. Oh, okay, that, right. Got it. That means coming of age narrative. Oh. Spider-Man is the preeminent coming of age narrative in comic books. And there have been a lot of feelings of late. And of late means for since 2006 that <laughs> Spider-Man <laughs> recently in the, uh, speaking in geological terms like we take on the entire <laughs> history of the earth <laughs> very recently very the last 30 seconds of the world's history um, Spider-Man has been stymied Spider-Man is not allowed to grow he is not allowed to continue to change and his building Roman is kicked back perpetually to early 20s like he is stuck in arrested development having progressed as far as his company is allowed to take him but that genre that coming of age narrative is something that speaks to a lot of people and a lot of people feel like they want to see spider-man grow up they want to see spider-man live his life after he has grown up and I'm going to be honest with you, that shit's never happening. But Darman did. Jack Knight did get to grow up. He got to get his call to action. He got to have his hero's journey. He got to retire and have the kids that you want Peter Parker to have. And I realize a lot of it isn't, oh, I just want this kind of story. It's that you want Peter Parker to have that kind of story because you love Peter Parker. I get that. I get that's why it doesn't work to be like, just go read indie comics. But I genuinely think Starman might be the closest thing you can get to what you want. Mm -hmm. It is a superhero with a personality similar to Peter Parker that gets his definitive end. And it's never going to have a one more star storyline. <laughs> I think the only thing comparable that you're going to get is Invincible. Yeah. I think those two, these two are the only ones that are going to get you that finality that you're looking for. And I mean, also, if you're a big fan of Invincible and you haven't read Starman, read Starman. Mm -hmm. The, the father-son relationship is a little different. Less physically abusive. So that's a plus. Something that is fun about reading Starman is realizing how big of a influence Starman had on the writers of up till now like since then mm -hmm. there are now little tropes and references that i recognize as coming from starman mm -hmm. i know i've always known that before i knew even knew that you love this series i knew that jeff lemire loves this series this is jeff lemire's favorite comic of all time mm -hmm. and in so much that there is a doctor andromeda that is just ted knight in the black science universe black hammer universe yep mm -hmm. and this series lives up to the hype and you can't always say that i think this is as good as saga of the swamp thing i think this is as good as hellboy i think this is as good as saga like this is up there as probably my favorite serial superhero comic of all time it has displaced invincible for that place and victory she did it she did it She's the best. She did it. She did it. She did it. Yeah, she made up for Legion of Superheroes. She did it. Yeah. 
She sent him a book and he really liked it. She did it. She did it. She did it. Yeah. It took him a year to read it. And she didn't quit. He did it. He did it. This is perfect because this gives me one token in the I can suggest something that Dallas is going to completely hate category. I have um, a little bit of free will, <laughs> a goodwill now to, to work with. And that's perfect. You, you are back at zero. So you can go. Hell into the yeah. This is the good shit. Wait, no, there were two compendiums, so you get two credits. Boom! <laughs> ooh, ooh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Something so bad that I love. Um, ooh, no, no. I'll, I'll think on it, dear listener. I will think. Let's should we do, do some listener questions? We should. Hello, Comics Collective! I'm first going to preface this letter by stating that while I've heard many good things about James Robinson's Starman run, I actually haven't read this run yet. Owen Sailor, don't listen to this episode then. Although your episode on it might convince me to finally dive into it. Okay, Owen Sailor, you can listen to it. As for my question, because this run is held in such high regard, do you believe that it is truly one of the best runs of any comic character ever? Much love, Owen Sailor. Yeah. Yes. Thanks, Owen. Um, next, next question. <laughs> Glenn Matchett. Starman questions. Please disregard previous email. Done. Do you think there's... <laughs> Consider it disregarded. <laughs> Do you think there's a Starman waiting in the sky, but if he came to meet us, he'd blow our minds? Um, yeah. Yeah, I do. That's all. That's all I got. <laughs> Thank you, Glenn. Thank you for writing in. We appreciate you anyway. Perfect. You want to get the next one, Dallas? Hi, everyone. Ian here. I was wondering what the most memorable moment of Starman was for each of you. Keep up the awesome work on the best comic podcast. Ian Cameron. Best, most memorable moment. You go. Uh, Jack Knight inviting a homeless man to Christmas dinner. Damn it. Perfect. Um, uh, I don't know. I, You know, it's a moment we didn't talk about. Um, just there's so many memorable moments. I loved Jack passing off the torch to Courtney. And I think it's because I got to see their relationship a bit more in the JSA run that um, Johns did with Robinson. But it's it was a great moment to, to capstone this. And Courtney is a great character. She has the same dealio as Jack does, but with Jeff Johns. Yep. Only he can touch her, which... She is based on his deceased sister. Yep. So yep. It makes give sense. A, give him a pass on that one. Oh, yeah. Um. Cool. Do you want to read the next one? Absolutely. This is from Julian. Just Julian. <clears throat> really excited to hear this episode. My question is, out of all the starmen... Jack Knight and his father are probably the most iconic, but what about the others? What do you think of the book's commentary and placement of previous characters like Will Payton and Prince Gavin and the place of Starman in general in the DC universe? Thank you. I think when you're touching on themes of legacy, it's very important to cover as many of your bases as possible. And I don't know if there's been another book out there that has been as willing to dive into every aspect of a character's lineage and titleage as starman has and it can't get a little baby but at least that's all the same 
character in a way. They're all united by the Bruce Banner. But this is um under the banner of Bruce. Under the banner of Bruce, you could say. But this embraces every aspect of what the name has meant over the years. And it's it weaves them all together in a very awesome way. Because there's not a lot on the surface that links these characters together besides the name of Starman. Yeah, I mean, I think they all had compelling stories about them. They all had enough time to shine to make me care about them. I'd say the character I have the least to say about is Will Payton, and he still had one of my favorite issues in the whole run. So that is kind of crazy. It's okay. Scott Snyder will touch on it a little bit later, so he got us. True. True. I kind of want to reread that now that I, like, know this character. Yeah. It's crazy how comics do that to you. Prince Gavin was dope, by the way. I would read a Prince Gavin story. Like, every time he pops up, I was like, that is exactly my kind of space fantasy nonsense. Mm-hmm. Let Neil Gaiman write that one. Can you imagine a Neil Gaiman The Shade miniseries? <sighs> yeah, I could. I just finished Gaiman's short story collection, Trigger Warnings. And unfortunate name, fantastic collection. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't vibe with this poetry, really. But, like, to be fair, I don't vibe with many people's poetry. There's a moral failing of my own. I get lost in the meter. Like, I get lost. I cannot read meter poetry. <laughs> but I cannot read. Flip, That's just a sound it. You, clip. Flip it. You got it. Yep. <laughs> but I'm it out. it's a really good one. And it ends with an American God short story. That's like 40 pages long. That's really good. One of the best novels of all time. Okay. Um, going off that one, we did get a late question in from Mullet Overlord. I'm going to read that one real quick. It's not in the notes. I got it. Putting aside Jack Knight, which Starman is your favorite? Also, which Starman do you think has the most Kennergy? I mean, um, Will Payton. Will Payton has the most Kennergy. Yeah. Or Starman 1957. Also a lot of Kennergy. I, I don't know. Okay, yeah. No, I'll, I'll let you have that one. But I do... I do like Michael. I think Michael's really cool. I think that Prince Gavin is cool. Sick. Thank you, Mullet Overlord. Last question, Joshua Gomez, it's all yours. So, one thing that fascinates me about Starman is that it manages to feel timeless, at least in its appeal, if nothing else. At the same time, it is also strongly connected to the messages of legacy of the golden age of comics, but also it is very 90s Gen X and it's moody, introspective, snide, irony, and aesthetic choices. It's walking all these paths at once and is beyond me how it works so well. So I was hoping to hear your thoughts or what you might think of each of those elements, timeless storytelling, updated golden age, retro 90s alternative vibes, or how they are woven together. Also, Lexi's dog is cute, but also Morrison forever, but also swordless Wonder Woman fuck the world. Saludos, Joshua Gomez. That's, that's for the win. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes! I've been, I've been reading that wrong for years. Oh my god! <laughs> get, a, get a comment like, Dallas, FTW. And it's like, yeah, fuck the world. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yep, nope, that, that's for the win. <laughs> I'm I very bad at those kind of abbreviations. Like, people will send them to me all the time. I'm like, what? No. 
You've learned two things about Dallas today. If you send me an abbreviation or a poem, I'm not getting whatever you're sending. I'm not understanding what's going down. <laughs> you are the one person in the world who's like, oh, thank God they changed his name to Fridays. I couldn't figure it out before. I have no Fridays. Idea oh my God. <laughs> I was I said it and I'm like, wait, is that an Ohio restaurant thing? I don't know. It can't be. There's no way. Um yeah, I going back to the question, I think that we've touched on it a lot. I honestly think that when you have a lot of elements from different times compiled together, when you have just a big soup of anachronisms, it just kind of by nature makes your story a little timeless. Because if nothing feels like it's in place in its time, then the story isn't really rooted in a time. I would also say the cyclical nature of fashion and culture with mm-hmm. the 1990s drawing very heavily from the 40s and 50s. And then right now, 2023, drawing very heavily from the 1990s and then even hopscotching back to the 40s and 50s in men's fashion. Like this book feels very of 2023 as well. Like if it came out right now, I'd be like, wow, this is being made by someone in Brooklyn. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, perfect. So, the book is timeless. And I think ultimately, um, if you talk about the human condition, there will be an element of timelessness. Mm-hmm. Like this book, yes, the aesthetic is timeless, but it's the characters that make this one of the greatest comic books of all time and something that will be read forever. It's the relationships because ultimately there are never going to be no more fathers and sons that have issues like that is just going to happen forever we're never going to have to wonder am i going to measure up to the men that came before me am i going to measure up to my own standards what does it mean to be a good man what does it mean to have given my best effort and when am i allowed to tell myself good job like those are questions that are always going to exist. And those are the questions that make Starman one of the greatest comics of all time. As much as I love Opal City, it is not the Art Deco style of Opal City. As much as I love Jack Knight, it is not Jack Knight's leather jacket. All of the aesthetic of this book could exist, and this book would not be the timeless classic it is without the emotional honesty and core of James Robinson's writing, paired with the beautiful, I don't want to undersell, the beautiful aesthetic created by Tony Harris and then continued by Peter Schnee Bjerg. I think that's the perfect way to end the episode. So if you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter accounts at CMX collective or excuse you their X accounts. Now you got to follow our X accounts Our X. This is so fucking stupid. I hate this world so much. Have Wait, you not heard about it? No. Yeah. No. Okay. I can't believe I get to tell you this on air. He, big dum dum, big stupid head, is renaming Twitter to X. It's literally being rebranded. They're getting rid of all the birds. Literally, X.com takes you to Twitter now. X going to give it to you at CMX Collective <laughs> or on the TikTok account at the Comics Collective. Or you can find each of us at. Dallas underscore comics at and comics and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. The way you just rolled with that was so fucking perfect. If you enjoyed the show and want to show you support, please go to Apple podcast or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review. And we'll read it off on the show. If you give us anything. Boom. 
And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments for the show at thecomicscollective at gmail.com. And next week, join us back. We are rejoined by favorite guest of the show, Evan Von Doom. We are continuing our Avengers by Hickman read-through, and it's going to be a blast. How far are we going this time? What are we getting to? Avengers issues 24 through 34, and New Avengers 13 to 23. So literally up until time runs out. Ooh, we're getting we're getting to the good stuff. This Ooh. is the second to last Avengers episode. And then we have to decide if we do Ultimates or Secret Wars. So, listener, if you have strong feelings about whether or not we need to read Jonathan Hickman's Ultimate Universe work, write in to the comics collective at gmail.com and is not rooting for you to win. So, thank you. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.